0: Good morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with us to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today, as you see in our little promo. We are in a series called We Are. Uh, Last week we looked at this idea of We Are Chosen. Today we'll look at this. Uh, topic of we are life. You should have got some note cards when you came in. Let me see them. If you got them, just wave them at me. So okay, awesome. So if you are new here, we love taking notes. There'll be a binder. Uh, we have binders out in the foyer, free, totally free, and you can keep all of your notes inside of there. We love taking notes in here. How many of you are uh, excited about Fourth of July and the Independence Day and all that? How many got got off of work? You off of work for Fourth of July? Good. And <clears throat> everybody who's not off of work hates you. Um, <laughs> They, you got off. How many are barbecuing this weekend? You're, you're going to do a little barbecue. How many not barbecuing? How many you are barbecued? You've been barbecued. Any any people in here? It's hot. It's hot out there. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited about this this weekend, and we're excited about uh, all that God does in the holidays. And thank you for taking your time this uh, this time to be with us. By the way, just so I can get it out, if I forget it at the end after service, we have. Coke floats for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, you were excited about that. So whether you want a Coke, you want a float, and you want it all, you can have it all. As soon as you go out there, it is it is all there. Um, I am excited about this series. I've loved this series. I love Ephesians. How many you enjoyed last week? I hope you did. Um, this week, yeah. You won't like this week. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different in the message, and I just need to kind of put that out there. Today's message is going to be a lot different. I'm, I'm, I usually like to communicate in a way that's uh, fun and upbeat. And, and uh, we talk about if you, if you go to church, church should be a place you enjoy, not a place you endure and all of that. And, and, and I believe we try to do that as much as possible. But today's message is uh, a little bit more poignant than any message I've probably done in a long time. And so I just wanted to kind of prep you for that. The first 20 minutes of this message, might be a little bit hard to swallow, and hard to kind of take in because it talks a lot about us and, and the issues that we have in our lives. And in the last 20 minutes, we'll talk about what God has done for us. Um, so it's going to get good. Okay. So you got to get, get through the painful part and, and know that it's going to be in a really good part and we coming out. And so, Hey, let's pray before we go any further, because we need God to help us to understand his word. So father, we love you. And, uh, God, we, we thank you for this time. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you for this church and this beautiful beautiful day. And God, we just set aside this time right now to, to open up your word. And I pray God that by your Holy spirit, you would, you would speak to us and you would show us what we need to be. And uh, you would show us who we are in Christ today. Guys, thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for Coke floats in Jesus name. And everybody said, get a little extra amen on that one. Which, by the way, let me just say, I'm more of a Dr. Pepper float type of guy than Coke. Anybody in here say an amen? Good. The rest of y'all, get out. Um, I don't know why we did Coke. I would have done Dr. Pepper. I've had a bit of a different kind of week. Um, we've had a lot of different things going on. How many know when you, you've heard the term, when it rains, it It pours, it pours and uh, I've had kind of just a, a different type of week. On Tuesday, uh, I... I got up in the morning and I went uh, downstairs to um, a uh, very, very hot downstairs. And I went outside and and found out that my AC was not working. How many know in the middle of June in Louisiana that's, that's forbidden? And so, and so I called up a guy that comes to our church and he, he thankfully came over and I went off to work and told the kids, enjoy, (laughs) I'm going to work. And so, uh, but they, they enjoy, they went swimming and stuff. And so I, I I get a call from Lindsay and says, you won't believe what it actually was. You know, I'm thinking it's going to be some astronomic bill and all this stuff. She said, yeah, come to find out there was two snakes that got up in our AC unit. And got within the contact, and I was like, did he kill them? Like all of them? She was like, they were fried as soon as they hit the AC unit. And so uh, snake away and mothballs, putting all that out there. Um, and so that was the beginning of the week. And then Lindsay and I took Lindsay out Friday night, and I come home from a date, and I go upstairs to go go change, and it's 95 degrees upstairs. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. What an, what, like, did the devil enter my upstairs? Like, what is going on here? And, uh, and so that night, we had to sleep downstairs, and uh, thankfully my kids weren't there. We, so we slept downstairs, and I thought, I'm going to turn it off, and then in the morning, I'll turn it on, and Jesus will heal my AC. I had faith, okay? So I can't went downstairs. Uh, I, I mean, the next morning I went upstairs, turned it on, went outside, and the fan's not going. And I'd love to say, like, I was, I was speaking Jesus over it. I was, Jesus helped me. I was kicking it. I was punching it. I was hitting it. I gave, I gave my neighbors an entertainment right there. It was, it was a sight to behold. I was so frustrated. I'm like, dear goodness. And so I called the guy who came on Tuesday, and, uh, and he proceeded to tell me he was out of town. And I was like, oh, Thank you Jesus. Sanctification and, uh, and so I finally got in touch with another guy, and, uh, and he 's like i 'll come out there and so he came out there now you didn 't know something about me just off the bat is I am what you call not a handyman. Um, I, I have no skills in the repair division. actually, if I am going to take something apart. I don't actually know how it's going to get back together, and usually I make it worse. Then I have to call somebody to come fix not only what was the problem, but now I just made it a whole lot worse. And so that was kind of the situation. I did all that I could with the AC, that, and it didn't work. And I laid hands on and prayed over it, and that didn't work either. So I got this guy out, and I said, hey, you know, you take a a look at it. Well, what I forgot to tell you also in the same time was my, my, uh, we had family coming in. My dad is here, and uh, my stepmom is here, and they were coming as well on the same day. So yippee. No AC and family coming over. And so uh, the car truck pulls up and my dad pulls up almost at the same time. I'm like, oh, my goodness. We have no AC. The guy goes back for about 15 minutes and then he comes comes to my door. He knocks on my door and he says, all right, you're all good. And uh, I was like, what? Like I don't need like a new – I thought I was going to need like thousands of dollars. Nothing was working. And he carried this little thing. I couldn't even tell you what it was because I'm not a mechanic or – well, you probably don't need a mechanic for AC. But <laughs> – that's how bad it is see i don't even know what the terminology is you don't need a repair man and uh and so after i kissed him on the lips i um (laughs) we had a little moment there and um no i'm joking and and so it was i was so relieved and i realized in that moment you i needed an expert i needed somebody who could come diagnose what the problem was and then give me the verdict on how we fix the issue and and in all areas of our lives where you don't feel like you kind of meet up to the qualifications, you will bring in an expert. If something's wrong with your car, you take it to a mechanic. If, you, if something's wrong with your body, you take yourself to a doctor and they sit down and their whole job is to diagnose the situation. You tell them what's going on, to diagnose the situation, to diagnose it properly, and then to give you the things that you need to fix the issue. Well, I bring that into the the passage we're going to read today because I believe oftentimes there's areas of our lives where there's pain, there's turmoil, there's problems, there's stuff, there's struggles. And if we don't get the right diagnosis on what the real issue is, we'll try to fix it ourselves and probably just make it worse. And so today, as we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, I believe that if you're going to live a God-first life, if you're going to live the the way that God calls you to live, you better make sure how God's called you to live, and you better also make sure to know what are the problems in our lives where we we need to avoid and we need to make sure that God can help us in. And so the gospel, especially in Ephesians chapter 2, is one of the most accurate diagnoses. It's going to give us the diagnosis of what's going on. Now, here's what happened. Last week, all of Ephesians chapter 1 was really good news. I mean, Paul came out of Ephesians 1 just so excited. 203 words, run-on sentence of how you're blessed and how you're chosen and how you're adopted and how you are redeemed and how you have inheritance. And like we left last week and it was like, awesome. I love Jesus. Well, unfortunately, though, today he's going to change moods a little bit. Because last week we talked about all that we are in Christ. Today, though, I want to talk to you what your life was like before Christ. Because in order for you to appreciate what you have in Christ, you need to understand what you had before Christ. And the condition of where you were. So jump with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this. And I'm going to need you to kind of help me here. So I want you to speak back to me. You're not at the movies. Okay? So I want you to talk back to me. It says, once you were, what's that word? Dead. You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, Dad shows us this. And this is something you've got to get right out of the gate. Is dead shows us that sin in our lives is not an action. It is the condition of our heart. This says that, that you were dead. This wasn't speaking of something that you did and now you're dead. Like, hey, you shouldn't have went across the street. Now you're dead. This says, no, no, no. You were dead. And because of your deadness, there's things that produce out of your life that are dead. And so we learn in the first beginning that dead is not an action. Dead is the consequences and the conditions of our heart. Now, let me prove it to you. How many have children? How many have kids in here? Okay. How many of you taught your kids how to sin? How many had a teaching class? Hey, kids, listen. Everybody gather around. This is how you steal. Okay. This is how you bite. This is like no one... No one in here ever teaches their kids how to blow it. No one in here teaches the kids how to be a hoarder. I've never had like four or five pieces of candy, you know, in my in my lap. And Lindsay's like, "Hey, can I have one?" I'm like, Ugh. "I don't do that." But you know what? My boys do. Do your kids do that? Oh, you want this pizza? Ah, okay, here you go. Like you, who teaches them how to do that? I didn't. I don't teach them. I didn't do that. Who teaches them how to how to yell at each other? Who teaches them I mean I've gone in the room and, and one's crying like what happened? He bit me! Like what made you bite him? Like why did you bite like they've never come in the living room and me and Lindsay are wrestling and I bite her? Like that's never happened. I'm like, I'm tired of you. Ah. Like I don't that's never happened. They've never seen me do that. Why? They are listen, they are self centered, broken, dead people on the inside. When we're born into this world, we are born dead. You don't train sinfulness. Like how many know, like you're naturally a professional sinner. You're really good at it. No one had to teach you to lie. You got really good at it. No one taught you how to steal. No one taught you how to, how to hoard things. Nobody taught you these things. It is something that is within us. Now now uh, let me give you another example. So um, well, I'll, I'll give that in just a minute. Uh, I want you to, to look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is going to give us a little bit of a framework on how we're going to process through these, through, through Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, says, for as in who? What's that word? Adam. Adam. Okay, so I want you to get that down. As in Adam, now look at this. So uh, as in Adam, all, what do they do? They die. So also in? Okay, so I want you to see the contrast here. There's in Adam, there's in Christ, and in Christ shall all be made what? So in Adam, we are dead. In Christ, we are made alive. And so here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus, when God made the world and he created Adam and Eve, the Bible said he created it. And it was, you know what he said? It was good. Everything he made was good. It was amazing. When he made Adam and Eve, you know what he said? It is very good. Very good. Because we are made in the image of God. Everything was going great. Great. I mean, the best place to be in the world for sure. And Jesus made Adam and Eve to commune with them, to be with them. And so he tells them, hey, listen, the only thing I don't want you to do is just don't eat this one tree. Don't eat this fruit. Everything else is all yours. Ride the lions. Have fun with the hippos. Go party with the elephants, okay? It's all cool. Have a lot of babies. You're naked. Have fun. That's what it was. I mean, I don't know how you interpret it. That's what it was. They were naked and unashamed, people, okay? Everything was fine. You know why? Because there was no shame in the world. They were God's creation. It was, it was a beautiful thing. And so, but of course, they chose to disobey. They had the fruit. Both of them partook of it. It was both of their faults. And, and sin entered into the world. And it fractured everything from that moment on. It broke everything. It broke their relationship. It broke everything. From that moment on, if you go and you read from Genesis chapter 3 for the next 10 to 12 chapters... It is terrible. There's murder. There's adultery. There's fornication. There's, I mean, there's just crazy stuff that happens from that. You know why? Sin. Sin enters the world and breaks it. So Adam Adam and Eve are now sinful beings. God is holy. He can't have anything to do with sin. So he kicks them out of the garden. But the good thing is, before he kicks them out of the garden, he says, hey, listen, I know this is a problem, but I'm going to send somebody who's going to solve this. Which we know is going to be Jesus. Anyways. I say all that to say in first Corinthians, when he says that you are in Adam, when you and I are born into this world, we are ancestors of who Adam. And so you and I are born sinful. We are born broken. We're born dead. So when you're born into this world, you aren't just some nice, cute little kid. You are sinful and you are in Adam. And the scripture says, if you don't know Christ, you will die and you will be separated from him. But the opposite is those who are in Christ are alive. So we're going to take Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to show you three things of what it looks like when we're in Adam. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to give you the good news about the three things of what we get when we're in Christ. So here's the first one. Number one, we were dead. In Adam, we were dead. Now, we all understand about this idea that, that there is sin, and there's sin that's inside of us. We just don't think we're that bad. We honestly think that there's a lot of people that are, Are good And there's some people that are bad and the bad people kind of make up for the good. I mean, we look at things in our, even in our culture right now, we look at things on the news and we go, that's bad. I mean, what type of person walks into a club and kills over 50 people? And I don't care if you're an atheist and don't believe in God at all. You would look at that situation and go, that is wicked, right? I mean, you don't, you don't even have to have a moral compass whatsoever. You could believe that there is no God, but you look at that situation and go, that's not right. There's something about that. Now, here's the problem, though, is oftentimes in our own lives, we, we don't feel like we're that bad. Okay, we're not like the 50-kill-50-people 50 50 bad. We got some issues. We got some things that are going on in our lives. But we really believe that we're intrinsically good. And here's why we think we're good is because oftentimes we're comparing to others. So here's how it works. Because your definition of good and God's definition of good are two different definitions. Do you understand that? So, okay, let me, let me give you a, for example. So my youngest son, Joel, who's six years old, he's a strong dude. A lot of people know him as a, as a fighter. He's a natural fighter. Um, it's really helped him with his health. But he's a fighter, like in real life too. Um, uh, we go and wrestle. I'll wrestle the other two. I won't wrestle him. He, he is a sly dude. Not only is he strong and not only is he a fighter. I mean, he plays dirty. He hits dirty. Okay. I mean, he'll come behind you and take you out. I mean, and you want to get mad. Like, how do you do that? And you're like, man, that was a good punch. Good job, man. That was good. But he's just, he's a strong dude. He's a strong guy. So listen, if I had another five, six, seven-year-old that came to my house and they were to wrestle out, I'd put my money on Joel. He's a strong dude. But here's the deal. Now, I want you to watch this. If I step into the ring against Joel, he is no longer good. He is no longer strong. He's a very weak six-year-old boy. Now, when I compare him to another six-year-old, he's a strong guy. But when I step in the ring, how many of you know, like, we ain't wrestling to try to figure out who's stronger. It's one kick and he's out. How many of you know that? Okay, y'all are like, pray for him. What does he do to his children? <laughs> I don't kick my children, by the way, okay? I just, this is an illustration, okay? I say all that to say, most of us believe that we're good because we're comparing ourselves to people who we think are really, really bad. So we compare ourselves to the other six-year-old and say, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. Now, Joe, my neighbor, that's a dirtbag. All right, that's how we. That's that's honestly, and we get our value oftentimes by the people we surround ourselves or the things we look on Facebook and we go, "I'm doing pretty good." Yeah, you know, our marriage isn't good, and yeah, our money's not good, and yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I drink a couple, but I don't drink as much as he does, and I don't do this to my wife, and I don't, and so we feel, we feel good about ourselves. But here's the deal. When a holy God steps into the room, you're not good anymore. Y'all with me? He does the one kick and you're out. So if we compare ourselves to people who are less than us, we'll feel good. But when we compare ourselves to a holy God and realize I've I've done just as bad, there is no rating system for sin. God doesn't look at the person who just killed fifty people and go, He's going to hell. And then the person over here that commits adultery or commits even pride and lust and say, ah, he's not that bad. Let's get him in. God views both of those as sin. And I know we don't like that. We don't like that at all. Because we feel like that other person definitely deserves a lot worse than we do. But that's because you think you're not that bad. But can I tell you today? You were dead. You're not that good. Welcome to our Savior's church. (laughs) This is the Sunday I chose to come. The pastor tells me I am not good, that I'm dead. Yes, and I, unfortunately, it's going to get worse. All right, here's number two. We were blinded by self. Ephesians two two. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, I want you, I want us, all of us, to say these next three words out loud and all okay you said it like you're like. okay ready one two three all okay i want you to highlight that underline that i want you to make that a really big deal all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature all of us. Romans 3.23 would say, all For all have, fallen, uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us are on the same playing field. All of us. All of us. But oftentimes we don't feel like we're all on the same playing field. And oftentimes when we even look at our own sin in our lives, um, we think that the, the issues that I have in my heart are only there because of other people or other external circumstances. I, let, me, let me put it this way. I've never done a marriage counseling where I've sat down with a married couple and, and the wife or the husband goes, hey, before we start, I just want you to know, it's all me. I'm the problem. It's all on me. She is not a problem. I'm the problem. It's, I don't even know why we're here because it's all me. I've never had that. It's always like, Oh. Are you ready? And then here comes the wife. Here's the list. He's this and this, and he's doing this, and he's not doing this, and he's not. And so I look over to the husband, and he's like, oh, he's like fuming. And he's like, do you have anything to say? Oh, I got something to say, all right. So he pulls out his phone. And he's like, I'm going to tell you. I took pictures, and she did this. and Right? And 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 what ends up happening is, is we blame shift all of our sin onto others. And this is what we're saying. I wouldn't have an issue. I wouldn't have a problem if it wasn't for whoever that person is or whatever that, that thing is. And for many of us, we always see ourselves as the victim. We see ourselves as the victim. Your parents, they were idiots. Your boss, he's a jerk. How about those three wives? They were all crazy, all of them. Well, who married them? You did. And it seems to be the common denominator in all this stuff that's going on is you. In the midst of all the dysfunction of everything that's happening in your life, and you want to blame it off on everybody else, but you seem to be in the middle of it all. Have you ever, have you ever done, I don't know if you've ever done this, where, you know, in, in kind of a dating phase and you're ready to kind of maybe break off the, the, the date or break off with this girlfriend or whatever, you, you know, you've heard things where a guy will sit down or a girl will sit down and go, hey, listen, you know, we can't go any further from here. This is probably, we're just going to have to cut, uh, cut it off. And, but listen, hey, hey it 's not you it 's me you ever heard you ever heard that or maybe that 's just on the movies i don 't know if people actually say that or not, but hey, listen to me, if God was in here right now, this is what he would say it 's not me it 's you i 'm not the issue you 're the problem let me i 'll take it even another step further James chapter four, verse one, look at this it says what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Are you fighting in your relationships? Do you have strife in your home? Is there just turmoil? There's, there's, there's strife in my home at times. There's bickering at home, at my home at times. I mean, I'm not, not by any means standing up here saying that I'm above any of this. I have the same things. But I want to help you today to help diagnose what the problem is. You want to know why there's fighting in your home and in your family and in your in-laws and at your work and all that? Well, here's the answer. Look, don't they come from the evil desires at war what? Within you. you. Can I say this as your pastor? You are your greatest problem. (laughs) I know we don't like hearing that because we want to think that everybody else around me, my mother-in-law, she's the problem. My wife, she's the problem. That boss, he's the problem. No, you are your greatest problem people that really knew God and experienced God. I mean, Paul being one of those, I mean, think about it. He's in prison when he's writing this. If all, if any person could complain about the situation, it would be this guy right here. I mean, he's just trying to do what God wants him to do. And sure enough, God by his sovereignty is putting him in jail all the time. How many know that would give me some reason to be mad at God? And yet here we are. And, and, Paul is constantly saying, you know what, I once was, this was me. I once served the enemy. I once used to live the way that I wanted to. We prefer to see our sin as an action rather than as a condition. Because if we can see it as an action, then we can feel like we can fix it. See, if you think that your sin is only because of what you do and not something that is wrong within you then you you begin to be mr fixer you try to fix this up i'm going to fix this i'm going to make this happen but your sin is not an action your sin is a condition you are broken and therefore everything that's coming out of your life is broken you wonder why every marriage won't work because you're broken it's not her it's not him you're broken You want to know why you you live in a constant state of worry? Because we're broken. You want to know why there's constant fear and insecurities? It's because we're broken. This is the inside of all of us. We are all on the same playing field. All right, here's number three. I told you it was going to just keep getting better and better. Here's the best one of them all. We were God's enemies. Ephesians 2, 3 says, By our very nature, we were subject... To God's what? Say that out with me. What is it? Anger. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We are children who deserve God's anger. You know why we deserve God's anger? Because we've minimized him and we've glorified ourselves. That is what we have done. But here's the problem with this. When you read something like this, that we are God's enemies, there's something that rises up inside of you, and you're really mad at that. Because isn't God a God of love? And isn't God a God who like is compassionate and graceful and merciful? And yes, he is. He is all those things. But in order to understand the grace of God, you also got to understand the anger and wrath of God. And you've got to understand that in Adam, when you do your own thing, we often don't want God to be mad at us. Well, let me put it this way. We just don't want God to be mad at our sin. We want God to be mad at everybody else's sin. Right? Right? Man, just, just watch Facebook and watch somebody do something to somebody and watch everybody go after this guy. Right? Put that guy in jail. He deserves what he deserves. He does this and this and he does. But, hey, if that was ever you in that boat, you would be screaming for mercy. Because we want God to be angry at everybody else. We just don't want God to be angry at us. But let me tell you this. You would not want to serve a God who's not angry at sin. Let me prove it to you if somebody walked into your house and I pray that this would never happen. And unfortunately I know some people, even in our church where this is somewhat happened in some degree and someone walked into your house and they killed your family except for you. Would you say, Hey, let's just love them. Let's just love on them. You know, they're adopted and loved. There's grace there. Oh my God. That would be quite the opposite. You would be up in front of that judge and those police and going, what are you doing about this? Put that man in jail. Don't even put him in jail. Put him in prison. Don't even put him in prison. Kill him. He deserves to be killed. Right? That's that's our response. We want justice to be served. And yet, in our relationship with God, we can cheat on him and we can do what we want to do and do it our own way. And, and we can go, God, you just, when I come to church, you just got to forgive me, but I'm going to go the rest of the week and do whatever I want to do. And we want God to be perfectly fine with that. But you wouldn't want it to be perfectly fine. If something was to happen to your family, you would want justice served. We want justice just as long as it's not justice for us. Y'all with me? I know this is hard to take in, but you don't want to serve a God that is not angry at sin. You want to serve a God who is angry at sin because he deals with things in a just way. But here's the, the greatest part of all of this is this. Well, let me get to the bad news and then I'll get to the good news. So the bad news is you're broken, you're dead, you're blinded to your sin by yourself, and you are an enemy of God. Glad you came on this day. Oh, by the way, let me put bad news on top of bad news. While we're here, you can't do anything about it or fix it. Okay, you got the bad news. Have we sat in it for long enough? So this is the state of who we are apart from Christ in Adam. This is us. But, well, let me put it this way: you know, when you hear something like that, you would go, "Well, okay." So, Pastor Josh, are you saying we're all doomed to hell? Yes, that's exactly actually what I'm saying. Unless God intervenes. (laughs) And that is what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 states to us. Because listen to me here. I'm going to read it because I wrote it down. I don't want to say it any way differently. But I want you to hear me. One way of measuring God's love is to measure the depth of the condition of the people he died for. One of the way that we measure how much God loves us is to, is to understand the type of people he died for that were dead and blind and selfish and enemies, and that's what he died for. And Ephesians 2.4 starts with the best two words, I believe, in all of Scripture, and what are those? But God. Come on, how many of you glad for that but? But God is so rich in mercy, and he has loved us so much. Come on, how many of you know God didn't have to do anything? but he pursued you. He pursued me. Come on. If we got what we deserve, how many know we'd all be in trouble? <laughs> how, many know, how many know this? If, if what happened maybe even this week or this month was put, everything that you thought and everything that you did was put on this projector screen for all of us to watch, how many know you wouldn't want to be in the room? We're just talking about this month and not only your lifetime. You wouldn't want to be in the room but god so rich in mercy what is mercy mercy is god holding back what you and i deserve they deserve hell they deserve to be separated from me they deserve to die but i'm going to hold that back and why would god do that well you read the rest of the verse cuz he loved us so much he loved us so much so let's let's get to some good stuff here in christ so in adam we're dead in Christ, here's, here's, here's your number one. We are made alive. We are made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 says, even though we were, we were what? Dead. dead. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us, what did he give us? He gave us life. And when he raised Christ from the dead, it it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We were dead. And how many know dead people don't do things? Dead people don't respond. Dead people don't clean themselves up. Dead people don't walk to God. Dead people don't get things together. You are dead in your sins and God makes you alive. Let me ask you this How many of you did something to contribute to your natural birth, your birth? How much did you contribute to the process? Nothing other than maybe cheering mama on. Go, push mama, push, push mama, push. Okay, when you think about your contribution to your natural birth, there was really nothing to it, okay? Okay, your mom and dad did all the work. Well, your mom did. Dad really didn't do anything. Um, Mom did most of the work here, pushed you out, and here you are. And guess what? Just like you didn't contribute anything to your natural birth, you also didn't contribute anything to your spiritual birth. God did it all. He did it all. And because Jesus shared in my death, because I should have died, I can share in his resurrection. Now, let me let me switch gears here. How many of you would would die for your children or your, your spouse? Raise your hand. How many of you would die? Okay. Some of you had to think about that for me. Like, which child are we talking about? Are we talking about number one? Or number <laughs> Depends what day. I mean, I don't know. So, okay. So, most of us would say, yes, I would die. Okay. Most of us would say, how many would probably die for a loved one or a family member? That wasn't immediate, but somebody else that you love. Man, nobody. <laughs> Mm-mm. Only my kids. That's the only one I'm dying for. Forget my uncle and my aunt. She's crazy. I ain't dying for nobody. Okay, let's take. Let's keep. Y'all were supposed to help me there. At least a couple of hands raised. But that's all right. Y'all are selfish. And so, and and <laughs> let's take it another step further. How many of you would die for your boss? Or a, a co? Okay, yeah, <laughs> we got got one. Got one. Okay. Um, or or a coworker. Okay, it, it, it's definitely less. Okay. Now, here's the next question. How many would die for someone who slanders you? How many would die for someone who has hurt you or your kids? Okay, definitely no hands. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a minute here. Because this is is the reaction of what we get. God, the Father, sent His Son to die for the kids that killed his son. Y'all understand that, right? You and I killed Jesus and God offered his son to be killed on your behalf. Now it gets a lot better. Not only does he die for the sins of the people who kill his son, he invites them to be a part of his family. So think about this. Someone comes in your house, kills all of your family. And then not only do you, let's say he kills all your kids and you and your wife are there at the hearing and the, and the judge says he's going to die. And your husband stands up and says, Hey, Oh, oh, oh." I'll take that. I'll die for him. Your husband goes in for him, dies for him, pays the penalty. And then the wife says, Hey, by the way, you want to be one of my sons? This is the extreme of what we're talking about here. That God, the Father, sent his son to die for our sins. And then not only did he die for his enemies, but then he invited his enemies to be in his family. This is the extravagant grace that we preach. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this, because this is the most important part, I think, of all this. I want you to write this down. I'm going to say it kind of slow, but I want you to write this down. And this is it. If God did something so huge for us when we were an enemy... How much more will God do for us now that we're in his family? Think about that. If God loved you and chose you and gave you life when you were an enemy, how much more do you think God wants to do for you now that you're one of his sons or daughters? Wow. So we were dead in Adam, but we are alive in Christ. Here's your second one. So we were blinded by self in Adam, but in Christ, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It is a what? What is that word? What is it? It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Isn't it humbling to admit this? I think it's humbling to admit this, that Jesus came to save you from you. (laughs) Jesus came to save you and I from ourselves. That's what he came in to step up. This says that salvation is a gift. Now, if you want to write this down, salvation is a gift you receive, not a paycheck you earn. So much of religion has made salvation to be something that you earn. Hey, you did a couple bad things. Well, just do more good things and you're good in. But if you've done one bad thing, you're out no matter how many good things you do. So salvation is a gift that you receive. You don't buy a gift. You receive it. Nobody gives you a gift in your birthday. And you're like, Hey, how much can I pay you for that? No, you receive the gift. You don't earn it. And salvation is this according to Ephesians. It is a gift for you and I. Now, here's the deal. This gift is waiting for you. And if, if, um, if you invite me to your birthday party, I just want to go ahead and forewarn you what you're going to get. If you invite me to your birthday and, and, I, and I am to come for your birthday, I just want you to know I am a terrible gift giver. Okay? Um, the way that I give gifts is I go to Walgreens. And there's a little area right there. Not the dollar ones. Okay? There's an area right there that has gift cards. Come on, how many are thankful for gift cards? It has changed the way we give gifts, okay? Like now you don't even have to think about it or even show that you even love them. You just buy a gift card. You don't have to care. No, that's sad, isn't it? But it is what it is. And you run into Walgreens or CVS. Have you ever noticed that when you go to Walgreens or Walmart or CVS that all of these gift cards are right by the checkout aisle? You know why they want you to do that? Because they they want you to buy the gift card. Now, here's, here's the key part, though. In 2015... Over $1 billion, with a B, billion dollars were not redeemed in gift cards. $1 billion. How many of you know all of those shops want you to buy gift cards? They want you to buy gift cards because you know why? They know you won't redeem it. You'll lose it. You'll forget about it. You'll, you'll use half of it and then throw it away. Something will happen. And of course, statistics has proven, $1 billion of gift cards have never been redeemed in 2015. If you give me a gift card, I'll redeem it all. I just want you to know that, okay? It'll never go undone. I'll, I use every penny of it, okay? And so, but here's, here's, here's where I'm getting at. The Bible says that salvation is a gift and it's given to you. But just because you received the gift doesn't mean you redeemed it. Just because you understand salvation, just because you know about salvation, doesn't mean you're saved. Nathan, bring me a chair up here real quick. Let me show you something real quick. So, I I, I want you, people ask me all the time, well, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I've had enough faith to really believe in Christ? I want you, take a seat. So, I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine that this seat right here represents alive in Christ. You are saved. You are alive in Christ. Now, whether you believe it or not that this, this means that you, are, that you are saved, it doesn't change the fact that if you want to be saved, you, this is what it is. You can believe it or not believe it, but it is what it is. So the question though then begins to ask, because people ask me all the time, man, I don't remember like when I prayed the prayer, and I don't remember like what the date is, and I don't remember what all this is. Now here's the question at what point did he decide to sit in the chair? I don't know, just a minute ago. But how do you know that he's got faith that he's in Christ? He's sitting down. You want to know how you know if you're saved? You're sitting down. God doesn't care about whether you know if it's July 22nd at 7 p.m. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you believe in it, and are you sitting down? And if you're here and you believe that Jesus has paid for your sins and that you were dead and you were blind to yourself and that you needed Jesus and you're sitting in that, you are saved. That is a good thing. Thank you. Okay, you can take a chair with you. Let me give you the last one. Number three, we are God's workmanship. So in Christ, we are what? We're God's what? We're God's enemies. And, but in, I mean, in Adam, we're God's enemies, but in Christ, we are God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me just say this and I'll, I'll, I'll move on. You are not saved by your good works. You're saved for good works. We don't believe that if you do enough good works, you'll be saved and God will let you in. We just believe that if you are saved, you'll want to do good works. You'll want to bless people. You'll want to help. You'll want to serve. You'll want to do things out of the abundance of what God has done for you. You'll want to do it for other people. So this is, this is where we're at. Let's recap. In Adam, we were dead. We were blinded by self. And we were enemies of God. That's who we were. But if we believe in Christ, that Christ came and he conquered death, hell, and the grave and he took our sins on the cross and he paid them all and we put our faith in that, then we in Christ will be made alive. In Christ we will be saved by grace and in Christ we are God's workmanship. Would you stand in this place? Jesus, right now we... We ask, God, that you would reveal to us, God, where we, where we need you. God, there's maybe those in here today that they're living in Adam. And they just haven't realized that all of the turmoil in their life has really been because of them. That sin is not the actions that they do, but it's an actual condition of their heart. And God, that you want to give them, as your, your word says, a new heart. God, I believe today that you're going to do that. I want us just to pray this together and everybody across the room. It's something that I feel like we need to be acknowledging every day. And so I want you to repeat this after me. You say this, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. I give my life to you. I am yours, Lord. Come on, just say that. Say, I am yours. Thank you for taking me as your own. In Jesus' name.